Hey everybody, this is Pastor James and welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We are starting chapter 25 today and this will probably take a little more time than usual because we're going to try to cover two of the sections out of three. So uh, let's talk about these two parables today and let's get started. Matthew chapter 25 verses 1 through 13. Let's read this together and then we'll talk. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know the day or hour of my return. Okay. So, when we ended chapter 24 last week, Jesus had given a short parable about the urgency to always be ready. And we pick up in chapter 25 with another parable, re-emphasizing the importance of being ready for the second return. And so, in this parable, we have ten bridesmaids. And let's start off by identifying who is in this parable um, and who these people represent before we begin talking about it. So first of all, the bridegroom is obviously Jesus. We are waiting for him to come. And uh, everyone's waiting on his return, and that's an easy one to identify. Now, in this parable, the bride is not mentioned But the bride represents the church, the global church of Jesus Christ, and all the people make up the church. And the bridegroom is coming to marry the bride, the church. Jesus is coming for the church. Now, all the people who profess to be Christians make up the church. And when you look at this, you have to understand today that the bridesmaids in this parable represent us. And and this is really important. Now, we're not the bride. We are not the church. But as a collective group, we make up the church and the bride. And we're a very special part of the bride. As bridesmaids, they are a very special part of the bride's life and existence. And you may not have given this much thought in the past, but think about who are chosen to be bridesmaids. I mean, you have sisters, cousins, very, very close friends, teammates, co-workers, all kinds of people that develop relationships and have these uh, intimate knowledge of one another and have all these life experiences. And uh, a normal groom may not realize this, and he may not always be fond of all the bridesmaids that are present at his wedding, but he must accept that all of the bridesmaids that are present had a part in shaping the bride that he is going to marry. So as much as he loves this bride and he's willing to marry her, he at least has to be thankful that all those bridesmaids poured into this bride to make her who she is today so that he can marry her. They all had a part in that. And as we are the bridesmaids in this story, um, we all have a part of 
of making the church what it is, um, the bride of Christ. And, and so as you're listening to this, I imagine if you're a, you're a male, all you gentlemen out there who are listening to this today, you need to understand that when it comes to God and Jesus, um, that all men must take on a feminine role uh, in the relationship with Jesus and God. On earth... We men may be the head of the house and the head of the relationship on earth, but eternally God and Jesus Christ are the head of the relationship, and we, even as men, will take on the humble, submissive role, uh, that feminine role that we understand on earth, we must take on that humble, submissive role to Christ as head of the body, head of the church. As bridesmaids... We all have an impact on the church and the bride of Christ, and so we are a very important part of that process of that uniting the bride of Christ with Christ. So this parable identifies five wise bridesmaids and five foolish ones. Not all the bridesmaids are pleasant that you are going to experience in life. I have been a part of many, many weddings over the years, and uh, I have been in a lot of weddings. I have officiated many weddings now, and some bridesmaids are incredible, and they do everything they can to make sure the day is perfect for the bride and the groom. Some bridesmaids are awful and just a drain, absolute drain to be around. Uh, They want to draw as much attention to themselves as they can and make it miserable for everybody involved. Hopefully, you are getting the picture that while some people are chosen to be bridesmaids, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are always a help or benefit to have around. And this is sad to say, but... You know, as we're referring to the bride as the church and the bridesmaids are us, there are a lot of people in churches that just are not beneficial parts of the body of Christ. Um, They're there, they're around, they help shape it, um, but many of them uh, may, you know, take away more than what they give. And uh, Jesus addresses this issue in the parable, and he uses uh, this parable with a 50-50 teaching, meaning like, Half of the bridesmaids are prepared and half are unprepared. Five are wise, five are foolish. Uh, So let's talk about what constitutes wisdom and foolishness in this parable. Now the foolish ones, the foolish bridesmaids that is, did not bring enough oil for their lamps, but the wise ones did. And understanding that simple preparation of bringing along extra just in case constituted the difference between wisdom and foolishness in the story that we're talking about. Now, this is very comforting to me. You know, some people may feel like this is alarming. You just say, oh, well, what if we just forgot? Um, You know, what if you just missed it? But this isn't a matter of just missing something. I mean, you have to understand that during this time, a wedding would have been one of the most significant things to take place during this time. Today, as Americans, we have thousands of forms of entertainment. And sometimes today, I'll say sometimes, most of the time today, weddings are kind of a hassle. It's something that we have to plan our lives around. It takes a lot of time away from other things that we would rather do. And we don't always look forward to going to weddings. But during Jesus' day, weddings would have been one of the most wonderful things to go to. They would have lasted for days. They were fun. You wouldn't have to work. You could go and eat, and the food was free, and the wine was free, and it was a party, and there was dancing. And it would just be a wonderful time of entertainment and fellowship that those people did not get to experience very often. 
And so the whole idea of just putting forth the effort of preparing for this, um, just a little extra of, of preparation of just preparing double the amount of oil is a simple way of preparing and constitutes the difference between foolishness and wisdom. And that's very comforting to me. And, and so if you're willing today to just put forth a little bit of effort and forethought to the idea of being prepared for what is to come according to Scripture and the kingdom of God, we should be fine. So the issue of this parable is that the bridegroom was delayed. And how ironic is it that Jesus gives a parable about the bridegroom's return being delayed? Remember, so much of chapter 24 deals with the second coming of Christ and the signs of his second coming. Remember that everyone during this time that Matthew is being written and this parable is now being shared with all the people who are going to read it, fully expected Jesus to return quickly. They thought he was going to come back in their lifetime. They thought that he would have already returned. But when Jesus had not returned as soon as they thought he would, there was a lot of writings that were addressing the delay of the second return of Christ. And I think it's a good indication that Jesus knew his return would take longer than what the disciples and all the Christians thought it would take. And he was trying to prepare them for that. And that's one of the reasons why this specific parable is shared in the book of Matthew, because that was one of the, re that was one of the things that the early church was struggling with, was why hasn't Jesus came yet? So it's not a surprise that you see this parable in the book of Matthew. Now, let's focus a minute on the foolish bridesmaids. Now, I like the fact that Jesus said half of them were foolish. Uh, half and half uh, makes it hard for us to choose which group we should follow. I mean, if you were in a situation around a group of people and, ha and you're unfamiliar with the situation or circumstances that you're going into, half of everyone is doing one thing and half of everyone is doing something else, it could be difficult to decipher which one is the correct way to go. And Jesus has indicated um, in this moment that being prepared is not just going to be an easy and obvious choice. You are going to have to think and consider what it is that you are building your life around and preparing for. These bridesmaids were not unprepared. Now I want you to think about that. These bridesmaids were not unprepared. They were prepared. They had their lamps and they all had oil in their lamps. All ten had oil in their lamps. But five of them did not have extra oil, and you need to understand that. They were prepared for when they understood the bridegroom to arrive, but they were unprepared for when the bridegroom would actually arrive, and they are considered foolish because they did not prepare for unforeseen circumstances in this parable. Now, let's talk about those unforeseen circumstances. How probable is it for people to be late for things? Here in my town with my family in Chesney at Graham Chapel with the people of Graham Chapel who I very much love and adore, it is very probable that people are going to be late. Um, in our early service with, our, with mostly senior adults attending that service, people stroll in to our services late every Sunday. In our 11 o'clock service where we have senior adults all the way down to teenagers, People stroll in late every Sunday. People hardly ever show up for anything on time anymore. And it would not be out of the ordinary for people to be delayed. And you think about during this day and time. 
when you have roads that are dirt roads, when you have bandits, when you are traveling on uh, animals, when you are having to stop and, and make preparations to stay overnight in random places when you're not exactly prepared for these things, it would be very difficult to arrive anywhere on time. And remember that we're talking about a time before cell phones, before uh, hardline phones, before telegraphs. Uh, this was not a day and time where you could send a message easily, hey, I'm going to be late. It was just something that you were expecting the arrival of this bridegroom on this day and time, and you didn't know that he was going to be delayed until he didn't show up. And so the second coming of Christ is very much like this. People have expected him to show up within the first century, within the time that the Gospel of Matthew is being written. People had already expected him to show up, and they were questioning why he hasn't showed up yet. He was delayed. So people have been looking for and predicting for the second coming of Christ for the past 2,000 years, and it still has been delayed. But we cannot be lulled to sleep on this issue because he has given us this parable that basically said the bridegroom is going to be delayed and you're still expected to be prepared and you need to be prepared at all times and because of the fact that the bridegroom is going to be delayed you need to be prepared with extra caution with extra resources with extra oil that you have in this parable so when the bridegroom finally shows up these five bridesmaids that only have their lamps full with no extra oil, they have to go hunt for lamp oil in the middle of the night. Now, it's important to understand that the five who had extra oil were under no obligation to give what they had to the five who were unprepared. Each person is responsible for their own preparation, and when the bridegroom returns, or when Jesus returns, there is nothing that anyone else can do for you on that day. Either you will be prepared or you won't be prepared. The five that were prepared were able to go immediately with the bridegroom and go into the wedding, and the five that were hunting for oil showed up late and were locked out and not allowed inside. They called to the Lord, 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 but he replied to them that he didn't know them. And one of the odd things that happen, uh, that happens when a groom marries a bride is that he very much has an influence on which of the bridesmaids he and his new bride will continue to do life with. Um, a good bridesmaid and friend will be welcomed to continue to be part of this new union. But if a groom is annoyed by one or more of the bridesmaids, or if he doesn't like them, or you know one of them causes problems, he may refuse to spend time with them later on throughout the marriage with his bride. And let's be honest, in a healthy marriage, the bride should be choosing her husband over her friends, even though her friends have been a huge part of her life leading up to that point. Now the husband must be the focus of her life, and the husband, the wife must be the focus of the husband's life. And so, rather than returning to her old friends or her bridesmaids that were unprepared or unhelpful, um, she is going to choose her husband, and they're going to move on to, to better things. And so in this moment, Jesus expects the bridesmaids, the friends, and the supporters of the body of Christ to be prepared and ready for his return, no matter the day, 
no matter the hour, no matter the season, no matter the circumstances, there is no excuse for us not to have oil in our lamps and even extra oil to meet him for the marriage feast that we will have all been invited to. That's something you need to understand. You're all invited to it. He's got a place ready for you. His delay has been returned, and there is a seat with your name on it. You have a reserved seat at this party, but you have to be prepared to go to it. And there's an expectation on our part to be prepared because he has prepared the rest. Okay, so let's move on. Let's look at verses 14 through 30 and read the parable to three servants. So again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who had received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who well use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even what little they have, will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as we ended the previous parable, the obvious focal point is to be ready. The oil for the lamp is a nice touch, but it's pretty simple. And really, what is Jesus specifically talking about when he is asking us to be ready? So he gives us this parable that we just read, another parable that is much more specific on what he expects from all of us who claim to belong to him upon his return. Now understand this concept of giving money to servants during this time would have been very common in practice. Any wealthy person in authority in this day and time, and even today, is going to have the ability and the privilege to to leave their home and and what produces their wealth for them and go and travel and experience things in foreign countries and things like that. They will also have lots of money and assets that they will leave behind um, and as they are away for extended periods of time they need someone to take care of that. So taking money and dividing it up among slaves or servants 
who you knew were very faithful and trustworthy was an excellent tactic for people during this time to keep their money and possessions uh, in safe hands while they are away. So this parable focuses on three servants, and each servant is given an amount according to their abilities. Now, I love the New Living Translation because it reads so much better for how we speak today. But I do want to refer back to the King James Version because the translation given in it for the amount of money that we have <coughs> excuse me, is talents. <coughs> now, talents were not a specific amount of money. Um, you know, a lot of Bible will have like a, a, a suggested amount of what the, what the amount of money would translate to today. But talent was a weight of currency. And so whether these servants were given bags of gold or bags of silver or copper would greatly affect the worth according to the talent or weight of that bag. So if it's one bag of gold, obviously it's worth a lot more than silver. And silver and gold are obviously worth a lot more than copper. Now, <clears throat> the New Living Translation refers to this as bags of silver, um, and that's probably just because silver would have been the most common form of coinage during this time, and it would have been easy to put into a bag, and people would have more silver than anything else, so it probably would have been more common. But the English word for talent, which refers to a person's abilities, is actually derived from this parable that we have. And we still use this today quite regularly when we refer to people's talents and abilities. So there are actually a lot of words that we derive from Scripture that we still use today. And most people don't realize that. Talent is one of them. So let's get back to the uh, Scripture and focus on it. So some people may get offended by this, but... We just have to be honest today. There are some people who are just more gifted and more talented than other people in various things. And that's okay. Jesus is acknowledging this in this parable. And people inside the body of Christ, people inside the church, um, even pastors themselves, everyone is talented in different ways. People have different strengths. People have different weaknesses. And some people just have more God-given abilities than others. And only God knows why each person is given uh, the talents and abilities that they're given. But this is a good thing because we are only responsible to serve God according to the talents and abilities He has given us. Um, so to the most talented, He, he gives five bags uh, or talents of silver. Uh, to the average, He gave two. And to the least uh, servant in this parable, he gives one, each according to their abilities. And this may hurt people's feelings, but I mean, aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't expect us all to do the same thing, to produce the same results? I mean, can you imagine Jesus expecting someone to manage millions of dollars when they have a hard time managing only a few hundred? I mean, <clears throat> I, I think about my nieces and nephews. I have one niece who is a thrifty uh, she's a thrifty little rascal. She has several hundred dollars saved up. She's trying to get to a thousand dollars. She pinches pennies and saves her money and does really well. And then I have another niece who would spend every penny that you possibly give her. She cares nothing about saving uh, at all. And so if I was going to trust one of them with my money, which one do you think I would trust 
with my money. Doesn't mean I love one of them any more than the other, but when it comes to the talents and abilities to be able to care for money, one of them obviously has proven themselves to be above the other. And that's good because people need to have different talents and abilities because people can't be great at everything. So, this is a good thing. Um, Jesus knows what we're capable of and he calls us all to very different things in our life and we're responsible for what he calls us to. So in this parable, the most talented and the average talented one with five bags and with two bags, they go to work immediately. All right, scripture seems to indicate that immediately, as soon as they get this, they go to work, they start investing, and they're able to double what they have been given. And so this indicates to us that Jesus expects us to produce. And that is something that most Christians don't even really consider in their daily lives. But Jesus does expect you to produce fruit in what we have been given and entrusted with in this life. This parable implies that they went to work immediately and that they did not procrastinate. And this is important because many very, very talented people squander their talents by sitting around and wasting time rather than getting to work and utilizing their natural gifts and abilities. I know many people in my life who are far more talented than I am, who are far more capable than I am, who have literally done almost nothing because everything has just come so easy to them they haven't put forth any effort that they just kind of squander those talents but jesus kind of expects us to go to work immediately he doesn't want us to just sit around and not do anything so when you look at this parable it is interesting to see that it was the least talented one that dug a hole and hid the money doing nothing with it at all now i like this part of the parable because there are a lot of people in the church who constantly claim how they just aren't very talented and they just don't know how they can serve because they don't feel like they're good with anything inside the church and they can't teach, they can't speak in front of people. And, and this shows us in this parable that even the least talented person gets something that they are expected to produce fruit with. Something in their life they are given some kind of talent they are expected to produce. And you're not allowed to just bury it and sit on it um, until Jesus returns. You're called to produce fruit with it. And now another key point to this parable is the fact that the master was gone for a long time. And you see that again. Jesus is trying to indicate that his return is going to be a while. It's going to be a long time. But after a long time, the master did return and called his servants to give an account for what they did with what they had been given. And so the five-bagger servant doubled his worth, and he was praised, and he was given more responsibilities and welcomed to go celebrate with the master. The two-bagger servant was exactly the same. They both received the same exact reward because they were both judged according to their abilities and by what they had been given and what they had produced. And that is an amazing thing about God. God is fair across the board to all people. We're not all called to do the same exact thing. We're only called to do what God has called us and given us the ability to do. But the one who hid his bag came forward, and you need to pay really close attention to what he said. He said, you are harsh, and you harvest crops you don't plant, and you gather crops that you don't cultivate. And I just want to ask you, does that sound familiar? You know, a lot of people today love to point their finger at God and say, 
Oh, God is God is terrible. I mean, he's a terrible God because he's unfair. And how can an all-loving God, an all-powerful God, allow all these things in the world to happen and allow murder and rape and, and all this stuff? How can God allow that if he's so loving and all-knowing and all-powerful? Well, what you have in this parable is an example of a person, this non-producing servant, who has a complete lack of understanding for his master because this servant expresses fear and uh, a disrespect and dishonor for his master that he serves. And because of that, because of that fear and that lack of respect, it hindered him from doing what uh, they had been charged to do, uh, all the servants had been charged to do. And upon this master, upon this, the master rebukes this servant saying, well, if this is what you thought about me, if you thought that I was harsh, if you thought that I took things that didn't belong to me, if you thought that I was unfair, if you thought that I was unloving and not all-knowing and I was just some spastic, angry God, why didn't you at least take my money and put it in the bank to draw interest? And you can kind of translate that to, well, why didn't you at least take what I had given you and give it to someone else and, and let them produce a profit with it. The one that was given one talent or one bag, what he was given is stripped from him and given to the one with ten bags or ten talents because God wants to reward those who do what they are called to do. And see, the thing is, the one that produces the one who was given five bags and produced another five, and the one that produced ten ba two bags, they didn't have fear of their master. They went to work, they did what they were called to do, and they stood before him with confidence saying, look, you gave me this, this is what I produced, I did what you expected me to do. And when we do what the master expects us to do, there's no need to fear him. But when we don't do what the master has called us to do, there's every bit of a need for fear in our lives of him and we need to understand that if we cheat god out of what he's called us to do then he's going to take everything away from us and he's going to cast us out he's going to cast us into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and so today the takeaway from this passage these two passages that we've been reading is that there are great rewards for those servants who are prepared and who serve God according to his calling and what he has given them as far as talents and abilities go. But there is also punishment for anyone who is afraid and doesn't understand or know the master and what he expects of them. And people who doesn't put forth any effort and do not produce any fruit in their lives there should be a fear in their lives. So I want to end today with this question. How are you preparing for the second coming of Christ? Are you expecting a reward? Are you looking forward to stand before God and show Him what you've produced with what He's given you? Or are you afraid? And have you buried yourself in a hole and, and are just basically hiding and expecting punishment to come? And... The answer to those questions should really 
be the result of what you do from this day forward. Because what you do from this day forward matters. I mean, the big thing is you might have buried it in a hole. I mean, you might have not been doing anything leading up to this point to serve God and produce fruit for Him and His kingdom. But today, you can get your shovel out and you can dig that hole back up and you can get that talent and ability out and you can go and you can get to work and you can produce for God. What you do from this day forward matters. You can't change the past, but you can change what you do today and from now on. So what are you expecting when Jesus returns? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day, for everything you bless us with. I pray, God, that you would go with us that you would guide us and you would keep us. Lord, help us to identify the talents and abilities that you've given us in our life. Help us to be confident in you. Lord, to know that you are a powerful and amazing God. And Lord, there are many characteristics about you that are fearsome. Um, there, you know, Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so, Lord, there should be a healthy fear of you in our lives. And at the same time, the simple understanding to know that if we do what you call us to do, we can stand before you in confidence. We don't have anything to fear. And you will not only reward us with more, but you will invite us to come and celebrate with you. And then you will give us even more on top of that because you want to bless those who have served you well. So Jesus, help us to be good servants for you today. We love you and ask this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. If you can't make it this weekend on campus, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. Have a great week.